So who's ready for Thanksgiving? Fried turkey, tryptophan comas, you know how it is. Sleeping on somebody else's favorite recliner, that's Thanksgiving, right? Uh, football and shopping and all those good things and the race of running around from family to family having multiple Thanksgiving. Is there anybody who understands what I'm talking about out there? N none of y'all have other families. That is, that's incredible. That is incredible. Uh, man, I know for me, it feels like I've always run from this family, have a Thanksgiving here, Thanksgiving here, and next thing you know, you've eaten four turkeys, four sweet potato casseroles, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good time. Uh, but in, the, in the, the race for all of that, I, I want to ask you a question this morning is, what race are you running in life? What real race are you running in life? What is it that you're after? You know, as you look back at your life, do you, do you, if you was to stop it, if the Lord calls you home today, and you look back at the race you've been running. Is it a race? Is it a race for possessions? Could you characterize your life as someone who has went as hard as they could to ascertain those things of material worth and value? Or is it, is it uh, people? Relationships matter to you. You've drawn a close network, and one of your most prized things you talk about is your friend network. You know, the people who love you, how close you are. Or maybe it's not that at all. Maybe it's, maybe it's prestige. Maybe it's status and fame. You've worked hard. You've gotten your accolades. Or possibly posterity. You, you want to make sure that those who come after you have, have been blessed by your work ethic and your sacrifice and your diligence. And so what is it this morning that, that you've been running hard and striving for? Maybe even a better question today is what are you running for right now? What does crossing the finish line right now, right now, if you cross it today, what does that mean for you? Is it a body that's made whole? Is it a marriage that's been restored? Is it a career that finally can provide for you? Is it a relationship that ends your loneliness? Is it a family you've always wanted? What, what, what is it that you have if you were to cross that line right now? What's on the other side of the finish line this morning? Whatever it may be, I believe Paul would tell us. Hold on, Morgan, I'm almost done. Just hang in there. She's so good. I like that vibe, though. That's, that's good. Paul would say this. Whatever, whatever, we, whatever it is we have on the other side of the finish line, whatever it is that we're trying our best to go after, Paul would say this in Philippians 3, 7 through 15. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, not works, not perfection, not even being good. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him up from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Some of y'all got that crossed out in y'all's Bibles there. Sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I already have achieved these things. 
or that I have already achieved uh, perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. Noted brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, press on to reach the end of the race, and I receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things, and if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. I pray that God would do just that, make it plain to us today. We've been talking about faith. We've been talking about what it takes to have that assurance and have the conviction to run things and walk things out this morning. Today, we're going to look at this race and see four reminders of what it takes. And I'll get into you pretty fast. The four reminders are there's a, a purpose to pursue, a price to pay, a person to perceive, and a prize to pursue. Father in heaven, I pray that you would encourage us with your word today. But Lord, I, I don't want you just to encourage me. I need you to challenge me. I need you to shape me today. I don't ever want to be off your potter's wheel. I always want your hands in my clay. And so Father, as you assess us, as you see where we're at, I pray, Holy Spirit, You'd begin to remove those things, God, that do not exemplify who you desire us to be and ultimately take away from the glory that you have bestowed for us that we might reflect it back to you. Challenge us, shape us to be more like your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. As the writer of Hebrews, some say, Paul... He definitely was a man um, to some degree who understood what the Jews were going through, who understood the Old Testament. And so he's, he's trying to continue to remind us how important it is all throughout the Bible, as we have seen, or all throughout the book of Hebrews, we've seen that he's encouraging us to hang in there. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't give up. Stick out to the end. And he's just Constantly reminding the, the church, listen, the Lord, he hears you, he sees you, he knows. And so we get to the next chapter of Hebrews, and he, he, he tells us, now that we've just walked through the heroes of faith, he tells us, pay attention, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, now don't, don't, I know some of y'all said, that's not what my Bible says. There's like 15 different translations for the founder and perfecter. You just go ahead and choose the one the, the Holy Spirit's anointed you to hear. But without a doubt, he is the one who started our faith and is finishing our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I are in a race. And it is not a race for faith. It is a race of faith. The first thing I want you to understand, or the first reminder that I would bring to your attention, is that he is telling us that we have a, um, a purpose 
a agenda, a, a plan, a, a strategy that God has laid before us. He's laid a course before us, and we are to pursue that. We are to, to race. We are to, to endure that. In fact, that's what he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, during Paul's day, Paul, had, he, he loved this idea of, of races. Uh, there were about three different types of contests during Paul's day, and that were, there was games at... Uh, there was the Isthmian Games, that was the Corinth, there were the, uh, the Pythian Games at Delphi, and there were the uh, Olympic Games at Mount Olympia. And so these games he would use because people were all um, connected to it. They understood. It's like, it was like football um, for us to some degree. And so, unless you're, unless you're a Razorback fan, they were not really caring about that right about now. But, uh, or even a basketball fan right now. Okay, let's go on. So he, he's using these games because he understands that he can use these very tangible truths to teach us spiritual realities. And so Paul is trying to get you to understand the analogy of what a race does for you and I so we can race and run better. He uses this all throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? The only one receives the prize. Philippians 3.14, I press onward towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of, uh, of God in Christ Jesus. That sounds just like we read about a while ago. 2 Timothy 4.7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But Paul is also very mindful that it's not just a race but it's a course as well. We have all been called to the same race, the race of faith. But you and I have separate courses, paths that we're going down that I'll, I'll never understand or experience what you're going through. But we all have this course. We all have this purpose that he's called us to. Look at Acts 20, verse 24. He says, but I do not uh, account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I want to finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was pursuing his purpose. Paul was pursuing his course. He knew he was in a race like you and I, but he had a specific course, a specific purpose that God had called him to. My question to start out this morning with you is this. Do you know, do you know what course that you're on? Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know why God created you, what he has put you here for? Do you know why he has surrounded you with the people he surrounded you? Do you know why you've gone through the hard times? Do you know, what you, do you know why you've experienced success in different things, in different aspects of your life? Do you know why? It's because he has a purpose for you. Paul had a course, I have a course, and you have a course. And sometimes we don't know our course, we don't know our purpose because we exclude ourselves from purpose because we've examined our lives for problems. Let me say that again. Sometimes we exclude ourselves from purpose because we've examined our lives for problems. And we just say, well, I got problems. I really can't participate. If I was a good, young, willed, talented athlete, well, let me tell you what, I don't care. If you are in here today, you are on a course and you are a spiritual athlete. And you are running 
whether you know it or not, if you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you are running a race. And you may say, well, well I, I, I do have some things in my life that, that make it difficult. Let me tell you, you are not too old to run. You're not too young to run. You're not too much of a failure to run. You're not too new to the faith to run. You're not too damaged to run. You're not too hurt to run. And you're not too despised to run. You may have caused damage and hurt and pain in somebody else's life, and they don't want to see you succeed, but that does not mean that you're too despised to run. And so I would just challenge you this morning to go ahead and think for a moment, what's your excuse? What are you holding on to? What, what is it that, that, that the moment you think, man, I should, but, what, what's your excuse? Let me just let you think. I, I'm going to go ahead and just throw some excuses out for me that I've worked through and tried to remind the Lord of. He doesn't listen to me when I use these. But here's what I've said. Lord, I'm too unqualified. I lack too much. I'm too broken. I'm, 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 I'm too hurt, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm too ordinary. I'm just plain. You need somebody more special. You need somebody more unique. You need somebody more charismatic. I'm too misunderstood, Lord. I'm too judged. I'm, I'm too untrusted. Those are my excuses. But can I tell you that those excuses do not exemplify me from the race, ever. We can search problems all day long. And I want to know, when the Lord says, uh, Scott, you finally made it to heaven, I want to know if he'll say to me, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And he'll not say that to me if I'm leaning on my excuses. And so I just have to realize that whatever lies I've entertained in my head, because they are lies. We can go down to the Word of God, and I can tell you what the Word of God tells you about you. But somehow, we would rather embrace the truth for a lie. I'm sorry, the lie for the truth rather than the truth for a lie. Because it comforts us and allows us to go ahead and say, woe is me. But can I tell you that there are other people this morning who have walked down that same path that you have walked down, and still yet they have come out victorious and triumphant. Because the word says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... There is somebody in the grandstands today looking at your life and saying, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. I can look at your life and see. I know what you've been through. I, you've not gone through something unique. The enemy wants us to think that we've gone through something unique, but your life is not unique. Nor is your experience unique, nor is your pain unique. If I could be so kind to say you're not that special. I'll remind you, is the enemy wants you to think you've never experienced, no one's ever experienced what you've experienced. But Hebrews 11 says something different. Hebrews 11 says, says that we have a cloud of witnesses, and this is the, the list of witnesses that would cheer us on. Sarah cheers on those who are barren and can't have a family. But the Lord says that my desire for you is to be fruitful and multiply. Enoch cheers on the latecomers to the faith. He was 65 years old until he walked with God. It's never too late. Job cheers on the sick who can't get whole. 
The righteous who can't make sense of it and the discouraged who can't find understanding. David cheers on who, the ones who failed, the ones who feel flawed, and the ones who feel forgotten. Samson, Samson cheers on those who compromise their destiny for their desires. Well, I got no destiny because I compromised all of it for my desires. And Samson's going, uh-uh, uh-uh, you ain't going to do that. If anybody knows how to compromise their destiny, I do for my desires. I do. Samson knows. Knowing Elijah cheers on those who are persecuted, who say, let the rain come, let the fire fall. Gideon cheers on the nobodies, the weak, the underdogs. Stephen cheers on those who have been murdered by the religious people. What's, what, what, what's your excuse? He stood there, and it says they grind their teeth at him and enraged at him. And he said, forgive him, Lord. As his eyes were set on Jesus, he fell asleep. Stephen cheers you on and says, you can survive, church, church. You ain't got no excuse. You've not suffered to the point of death. You can do it. You can do it. Japheth, he, he cheers on those who have been rejected by their family, and now all of a sudden the family wants something when they call on you. He says, I've been there before. Jacob cheers on those who were labeled to fail. They were destined to fail. Their name meant they will not succeed, right? Moses cheers on those who are tired of pretending there's something else and seeking to become something they've always were meant to be. And Abraham cheers on those who face utterly impossible odds who are called to trust God with their most cherished possession and people who failed by trusting in their flesh when they were supposed to be walking in the spirit. We have no reason today to say, well, I'm out. No, tag, the cloud of witnesses said, get back in here this morning. You got a race and I got a race. You got a course and I got a course. We got to run it. We got to endure. That's what he's saying today. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're struggling with, but I know that there's a cloud of witnesses in heaven saying, run, endure, run, endure, run, endure, run, endure. Don't, you're not too tired yet. Don't throw away your confidence just yet. I've got plans for you. Why have you given up? on yourself when God has not given up on you and you can't do anything but with his word he said let there be and the things that were not became something all of a sudden you still have a race to run and your race honors him for what he did on his race for you to say that your excuse is not it is too great is to notify and saying Lord I know what you did my excuse is bigger. It's better. We got a race to run. We got a race to run. But I love about the cloud of witnesses is that when I look at them, I know this, that they had struggles too. They had a price to pay too. And so Hebrews 12:1 says this, let us also lay aside every way and sin which clings so closely. Now, sin, we understand that sin is not good for us. It's, it's not beneficial for us. And so we know that sin actually holds us back. And when, and when they use the word cling so closely, the Greek word is, is, is a very easy word to say. It's eparistaton, all right? 
I'm done. That's it. Altar call, worship team, let's go. I was nervous today to say that. And the thing is, is that it's as difficult to translate as it is to say it. Because it means this. It means to be easily avoided, to be admired. I don't know how that, ensnaring or dangerous. And so what we can see about sin, how it describes sin, is that sin, some sins can be easily avoided, but are not. Some sins are admired, yet must be laid aside. Some sins are ensnaring, and they, they are especially harmful. Some sins are more dangerous than others, but all of them should be laid aside. But the thing is that you and I should have freedom from those sins. Where we struggle is with the weights. Because the weights are not necessarily sin. Otherwise, he would just said sin and called it done. But what he's talking about is the weights. And the weights are the things that you entertain because you have Christian liberty to do so. But see, Galatians 2.20 talks about this. You guys may know it already. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. And typically, we're right there. We're like, thank you, Lord. That you freed me from the penalty of sin. You freed me from the wrath of God. You freed me, you freed me from the mastery of sin over my life. I'm freed from addictions. I'm, I thank God I'm now free. And then we just want to go ahead and close the book and say I'm done. But that's not how Paul wrote that. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me, in the life I live now, I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me tell you, there was a great exchange for you. A great exchange. He offered up his death so you could live. But he expects your life in return. That means if you would have died the death that he died, you don't have the freedom to do what you do. If you paid for your sin with your own blood, which would have not done anything for you, but if, if you'd have done that, then you could no longer pursue the dreams that America has to offer you. You don't have those desires. You don't have those rights. You don't have those liberties. If you died the death that Christ died for you, all those things are gone. But now that you have it, Jesus is saying, I, I died the death that you should have died. But since you died, I'm asking for your life in exchange. And if you'll do that, I'll give you life for eternity. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to let me live through you. That means whatever desires and dreams and hopes and agendas and things like that, I'll give those things to you so long as the things that I have for you. But I don't want your stuff because typically, honestly, your, your stuff is, is dead. Your desires are dead. Your agenda is dead. Your problems are dead. Your personality is dead and who you want to be. But I'm going to take what you are right now alive and I'm going to use it for my glory. So that means the liberty that you and I have should never impede the purpose he's called us to. That means that whatever things we do should not take, should not hinder us. It should not hold us back. And you and I, we have liberties that, that are not sin, but they're not the greatest things for us. They hinder us. Jesus talked about this when he talked about the seed being cast into the soil. He says there was some seed that fell on good soil, and it produced a shoot, right? It came up, but it was choked out by the cares of the world. 
Now see, sometimes we don't realize is that we get so consumed with the things that we're trying to manage and, and hang on to and pursue, and, and those things get heavy. There's weight to those things. But Jesus says they should not be weighty things. If I'm living through you, you would find out that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we, we hang on to those weights because we feel like they're important for us. Can I tell you that good things are bad things when they keep you from the best things? Good things are bad things when they keep you from the best things. You guys have probably heard me talk about my, my, my conviction on kung fu. I can't watch kung fu. Cannot watch kung fu. Love kung fu. I probably love kung fu more than anybody else in this whole room. And I'm the one that can't watch it. Because the Lord understands that that's just something for Scott Brandon. It hinders me. It's something I enjoy. It's something I've always done. But it is something unique to me. That he understands that watching kung fu provokes the vengeance I have in my heart that I struggle with naturally. That, that, I, that I had gotten from my, from my father. And so, and so he understands what I need. Now, is it wrong? Is it a sin? No. But those things hinder me from the cross that I'm supposed to go for. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, is what's your kung fu? You know, what, what's your weight? What are you carrying you're not supposed to be carrying? I'm not asking you for sinning. I'm asking you, are you carrying something you're not supposed to be carrying? Are you carrying something that hinders you? It tires you? Because I want to remind you, you're running a race of endurance. You're run, and you need every bit of strength in your body that you can possibly get. And when we entertain those things, they weigh us down. Thank God that he has not only freed us from sin, but he's also lightened our load with his yoke and his burden. And that is Jesus. That's why it's important when he says in 12.2, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and he's seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to, looking to Jesus means looking away from everything else, everything else. You know, uh, Michael, come on up here. When you run a race... You have to know there are certain attributes about you that matter, certain things that you do that matter. Now, if you look at me and you look at Michael, one of us has a superior physique, and we know. <laughs> we know. They're laughing at you, bro. That, that's not even right. They, they, you, you look at me and Michael. Michael, don't shy away from me. Come on here, bro. When you look at me and Michael, somebody is a clear winner here, clear winner here, okay? There's no question. We're not... You don't even have to gamble, right? It's just clear. We know what we're going to do. But, you know, regardless of how well one of us is built, <laughs> regardless of how fast, how talented, how gifted we might be, it makes no difference if we don't run a race properly. So me and Michael, we're going to run this morning. <laughs> and Michael, Michael's going to get dusted, y'all, I'm telling you. Because Michael's going to run like most of us run, and I'm going to run like the Word tells us to run. And so, Michael, I'm going to give you the choice. We're going to run from here. No, we're going to run over here. We're going to run from this side to this side, and here's the thing. It's your choice. First one over there wins. That's how the race runs, right? But you get to choose. You can either look all the way left or all the way right. I don't care. It's your choice. 
Come on, let's, let's run. Let's go. Let's go. Okay? Oh, some of y'all, I'm old too, bro. My back hurt. I took some Advil just this morning just for you. Which way you gonna look? You gonna look at me? I'm trying to honor me. All right, it's all right. It's good. Listen, there's, there's some obstacles in the way. Okay? All right. Y- y'all count off. Ready? On a count of three. Ready? No, no, no. Come on. I just preached about being one body, y'all. We're going to start with one, two, three. All right, y'all ready? Look at me. Don't, don't cheat now. We're in God's house, okay? All right, you ready? One, two, three. Oh, oh easy, boy. Get back to your seat, boy. I'm nervous the whole time. Kirk, that's why we got to make sure we got good insurance around here, bud. <laughs> Holy smokes. I'm nervous the whole time. He's just going to run and, and bust. It says we're not supposed to look at anything. Lord, thank you for grace. <laughs> All I saw was just neck broke. I'm in the hospital. When, when we run, we're to not look at the grandstand. We're to not look at the people we're running next to. We're, su- we're supposed to look at what? Jesus. There's four things that I see us, for us to pay attention to. Here's the, here, here are four things for us to make sure we're not looking at. Number one, don't look at your circumstances. We can look at Peter's life and know, remember the story with Peter, right? 1428 says this, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked in the water and came to Jesus. Remember what we said about Peter's experience as he was coming to Jesus, and he took his eyes off of Jesus, and he put his eyes on the situation. He put his eyes on the circumstance. We said this, whatever has your focus has your faith. And if our focus is on the circumstances, that's where our faith is at. For us to manipulate our environment and to make sure we can do what only we can do. But that is the wrong way to look. The second wrong way to look is don't look at your brothers and sisters. In fact, the best way to say this is don't look at man. Because how many of you know men will fail you? How many of you know women will fail you? I just don't want to leave y'all out. Mankind will fail you. If you not learn by now, no matter how godly, no matter how great, they will disappoint you. My pastor growing up, he taught me. He said, Scott, you need to know this. Only one is faithful. Only one is true. Don't ever set your eyes, regardless of how humble they work, or how humble they walk, or how powerful they work. Only one is faithful. Only one is true. Psalms 118 says this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princesses, which translates government. Amen. Somebody, we know that. Don't look at brothers and sisters. Don't look at man. Third thing is this. Don't look at doctrines. 
Don't look at creeds. Now, when I was a young man studying scripture, man, I was all into the doctrine of atonement, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of sovereignty, uh, um, uh, sovereign grace, and doctrine of eschatology, and all those different things because I was just, I was a sponge, and I was just bringing it in. And I learned later on is that I was really more involved with the word was saying than what the word was revealing because that's what happens sometimes. We get so caught up in the word was saying, there's so much power in the word, but we forget the whole purpose of the word is to reveal Jesus Christ. In fact, I remember the first time or the time I finally gave in and said, okay, I'll teach you the book of Revelation. They asked me quite a few times and finally I just said I would. But I didn't teach Revelation the way they wanted to teach Revelation. They wanted to know the what's, the when's, the why's, and the how's, and the where's, and all those good things like that. And I said, no, no, I, I teach Revelation by the way it started and that is through this. Revelation 1-1 says the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't care what the word has to say if the word is not pointing me to the word, the one who came down from above. I want to know who Jesus is. And so I'm thankful for the doctrine that helps me to think and process through and understand. But at the end of the day, it wasn't a plan that saved me. It was a person that saved me. And so I need to make sure that my mind is set on him. It's stayed on him. Number four is this. Don't look at yourself. Because sometimes we lose our mind and do that. Why would we ever look at ourself? I'm reminded of a time in, in Scripture where I, I read through Zechariah 3.1. This is where Joshua is standing as a high priest, and he comes before in this vision, and he's decked out in all the high priestly robes. These are the robes that are on, only these robes are the ones accepted before God. You cannot go before God any other way. These are those robes. And it says that then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Can I tell you that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how good your record is, at the end of the day, the accuser of the brethren is after you, and he has rights to accuse you if you're standing in your own righteousness. You have no reason to look to yourself. That's why it's important for you not to look to your own faith. Don't, don't judge your quality of your faith by saying, well, I've got good faith. I truly do believe in the Lord. My faith did this. My faith did that. Listen, the only reason why your faith is good is because of the person that you're putting it in. The only reason why it can move mountains is because he can move mountains. That's why he says if you'll have faith as a mustard seed, it doesn't make a difference how great it is because faith is not determined by your, your, your quality of the faith that you have, but how much faith, who you have your faith in. If you have this much of a faith in this much of a God, then guess what? Any answer is possible. Any answer is possible. Jesus says if we look to our own righteousness, then it must exceed that of a, a Pharisee if we're going to enter the kingdom of God. And the last thing is this as the worship team comes. We have a prize to pursue. We have a prize to pursue. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. <laughs> Do you realize there's always a theme in Scripture? Someone's always going through a hard time. How, how is it that we separate ourselves and make ourselves better than those who are in the Word? As if we're not supposed to go through hard stuff. We cannot be offended at the fact that life is difficult. Your health may not be the best. Your marriage may not be the best. Your relationships with your kids may not be the best. Your, your, your career may not be the best. But that does not mean 
if the Lord is not working in us. You must continue to endure. That's what you've been called to, to endure, to run. There is another prize for us to pursue. Hebrews 12, 2 says about Jesus, he says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Jesus had his eyes on the prize. And there was a prize for us, too, that you may not realize. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. I've probably read this before, but man, it just, it just nailed me this weekend. It says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus had his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Wow, that is, that's huge. Paul, Paul is saying that when Jesus returns, you know what our joy is? You know what our glory is? It's you. Because when Jesus comes back, Paul is saying, I can stand before him and say, Lord, look what I've been busy doing. I've been pouring into the church. Now, when Paul was writing that, that did not mean he said, look at this church I led to you in Christ. Paul was sowing seed in his church. He wasn't responsible for every one of their salvations, but he was imparting into them. Church, listen to me, listen to me. That's why the one another's are so important, that you love one another, that you care for one another, that you submit to one another, that you serve one another, that you forgive one another. That's why it's so important. Because there's going to be a day when he returns. And when he does, we want to be in the place that Paul is in. It says, Lord, look at the joy and the glory that I have to give you. Look what I've been busy doing. Can I tell you that that God reveals himself in two different ways. He reveals himself in two different ways. He reveals himself first uh, through the word of God. He reveals himself through um, his word, through people, through prayer, through the spirit, but also the Lord longs to reveal himself through the suffering that we go through. I was just talking to Madeline the other day, and, and I said, remember when Moses read the Bible, and he realized, Jesus, no, there was no Bible. Moses didn't have a Bible. Moses knew God through the suffering that he endured, but through the obedience that kept him there. You and I, we're so blessed, we can open up Scripture, and we can see who he is. I don't have to read through the Old Testament and all those those, those, those ceremony laws and things like that. I can look at the New Testament and know who he is. And then the Old Testament explodes him into my mind to understand how, how, how he, he met this person's need. How he walked him through suffering. How he was faithful then. How he's faithful now. We see those things in scripture. But I want you to know is that we are unique church. For the church of God. For the church of Christ's body. What you and I are. We know him intimately and personally and we are privileged to know him in the joy of our suffering suffering creates intimacy and so we can't always pray Lord I don't know why I'm going through all of this maybe the reason why you're going through what you're going through is because the Lord has need of you to be closer to him 
Sometimes we pray those things away. But even greater, maybe the Lord's not trying to reveal himself to you. Maybe what you're going through is the Lord trying to reveal himself through you. Because there is a prize. There's a prize to pursue. Someone needs to know who Christ is. And they do that by watching you go through the worst situations in life. That's why we have a cloud of witnesses saying, come on, endure. Come on, run. Because they finished the struggle. They finished the race. And their life gives us strength and encouragement. And I'm praying, I'm hoping that your life runs in such a way that even in spite of all the struggle and the difficulty that you run, someone's watching you. And your life that you don't know, but your life living faithful in the suffering, out of obedience to Christ, your life says to someone else, run, endure, run, endure. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you this morning. If you, if you're saved by grace through faith, you've received Christ this morning. You, you know who he is as your savior. Does not make life easy. But the struggle is real. But you're in the race. You're running the race. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand. If you're running the race, lift your hand. Don't be ashamed. All right, put your hand up. Now, if you would say, Pastor Scott, I, I can't lift my hand. I've not been running the race. This race of faith is, is, is difficult, and I've tapped out many times, but I need to get back in the race, or I need to start the race. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Let me see. This morning. I need to start it. Thank you. Thank you. I need to get back in it. Think through your response. Do you need to start it? Do you need to get back in this race? Would you stand with me this morning? Here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to call for two things. And as I do, in fact, if, if the altar team would come down, I want to ask first off is if you raised your hand and you said, you know what, I need to get back in that race. I need to get back in the race. I need to start the race of faith. I want you to come down. We want to pray for you. But the second thing is this. If you know, if you know that you're struggling in that race and you know someone's watching you, they're looking to you and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Scott, I'm just weak. I'm weak. This race is difficult. This race is hard. And I need strength to endure. As I pray, if you're either one of those people, would you come down and let us pray with you? Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you, Lord, right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, Father, as we walk forward, God, and we ask for strength 
God, we ask, Lord, to start this race, Lord. We know the struggle will be real, God. We know the pain will be real. We know the difficulty, God, will be sure. But, Lord, we pray that your spirit, God, will give us the strength to endure, that your power will give us the, the ability to run, and that we'll not just run, that we'll not just endure, Father, just to measly get by, but we pray that our struggle, Lord, would, would bring you glory and, and, and praise, and I pray, God, most importantly, Father, that as we run, as we have a race, Lord, I ask you, oh God, would you open the eyes of the unbelievers that they might look upon our life and see that the power that, that it takes to run this difficult race comes from God alone. Lord, would you allow them to see Jesus living in us, breathing in us, uh, striving in us. Lord, would you give us, God, the ability, Lord, to make our lives a mirror to your love, a mirror to your power. I pray, God, today you'd cover us. Give us that strength in Jesus' name. Pray. Amen. As, a, as the worship team sings, if, if you want us to pray for you, come on down.